The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I hope you do, please open with me to the book of James. Uh, We'll be in James chapter 3 this morning, so James is toward the end of your uh, Bibles, is where you'll find that. James chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 1 through 12 this morning in just a few minutes, but the sermon is really going to be focusing on verse 9 uh, this morning, so almost all of my comments will be on verse 9. We love, let's, let's have some fun here. We, we love to teach our children nursery rhymes, particularly when they're, when they're young. We like to teach them. All of us do that when we're, when we're parents. And for the most part, it's, it's good for our children to do that. So let's, let's think about some nursery rhymes, okay? Um, how about this one? Do you, 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 we all know this one, Ba Ba Black Sheep, right? You can sing it with me if you want. Ba Ba Black Sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. One for my master, one for my dame, and one for the little boy who lives down the lane. Then Baba Black Sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. Very good. Congratulations. Brian, I especially heard your voice all the way up here singing that very, very loud, so thank you so much for doing that. Um, this one's not really a song, but it's nevertheless a rhyme. We have, you know, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And one of my favorites, which is kind of strange why this is one of my favorites, because I'm not really a big, I'm not, I'm not afraid of spiders, but spiders aren't really my favorite thing. And so you have the itsy bitsy spider went up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed the spider out. Out came the sun and dried up all the rain. And the itsy bitsy spider went up the spout again. This is fun. We need to. Here, here's one. All right. You might need to stand for this one if, you, if, you, if you're feeling brave. Okay. This is. A, I'm a little teapot. All right. Do you, do you know? Do you, so, I'm a little teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle. Here is my spout. When I get all steamed up, hear me shout. Tip me over and pour me out. You guys are really good. We could, we ought to, maybe we can do this a new part of the Sunday morning service. Is we'll just have some... Um, uh, here's another. This is not a song again. But uh, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown. And Jill came tumbling after. Now, bonus points. If you know the second verse to this, do you, do you know the second verse? Up Jack got and home did trot as fast as he could caper and went to bed to mend his head with vinegar and brown paper. <laughs> that sounds refreshing, right? Some vinegar and brown paper. Yeah, so Joe and what? Yeah, that's what I thought when I first was like, yeah, I never learned that second. There's probably a reason I didn't learn that second part to it. Anyways, Nurse Rhymes, thank you. So, thank you so much for your participation. You can go home now. Um, Thank you for your participation this morning. That was a lot of fun. Um, you know, sometimes nursery rhymes, though, 
um, while, that, while they can be fun, sometimes they can be, let's just say, a little less than truthful, right? And so consider this nursery rhyme that first appeared um, in March of 1862. And the Christian Recorder is where it was found. It goes like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, somebody, I just heard somebody say, not. Um, yeah, we all know that rhyme, and we've probably said it ourselves more than one time. But we also know that that rhyme is really not true. Words are powerful. They have a tremendous impact on other people. And that sometimes that impact can be profoundly positive. Maybe it was a high school coach who, who taught you to be the best person, the best athlete you could be, and you still fondly remember that coach. And you're like, man, you know, the, the impact that he had on you. And other times, words can have a tremendously negative impact on us. So maybe a mom or a dad in a, in a heated moment said something to you that, that you still, as an adult, remember to this day, and you remember those words, and, and, and they hurt when you remember them. And so without any further ado, I want us to, we're going we're gonna to be talking about the power of words today. And so if you're in James 3, say amen. amen. All right. Follow with me as I read verses 1 through 12. And again, I'm going to come back and I'm going to focus on verse 9. Today is, um, on the, so on the annual Christian calendar, today is what's called Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, it's always the third Sunday of January. And um, I, I hope before we end today, you'll understand while I'm, why I'm preaching on, on this topic today. So follow along. James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we, um, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting, the, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring forth, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for this time now that you give us to be together. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as we focus for just a few moments now on the power of the tongue. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So if you're a note taker, um, very simple idea today is that our thoughts and words, they have consequences. Thoughts and words have consequences. This, this is, shouldn't come to you as a, as a great aha moment, but this is the idea, the central idea of what I want to get at today, that our thoughts and words have consequences. And so I have three points that I want to make. Uh, today's sermon is brought to you by the letters P and W. And so first we're going to see the power of words. And so they'll all have P and W in them. The power of words. This entire passage that I just read for you, all 12 verses, dealing with the power of the tongue. And of course, James isn't referring there to that muscle that's covered with taste buds in our mouth. That's not what he's talking about. You know, it's not that muscle in our mouths that's a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's not his point. Rather, his point, James is addressing the things that we do with our tongues, the things that we say with our tongues. Because you, you recognize it's impossible to speak without a tongue. It's impossible to form an intelligent sound without your tongue. Just, just try, not right now, do this later at home, try, try going through the alphabet and saying the alphabet without you know, keeping your tongue perfectly still. You can't do it. The tongue is necessary. And so the tongue is powerful. And we use the power of our tongue both for good and for evil. James begins verse 9 by describing that contrast for us. He tells us that with our tongues... We bless our Lord and Father, and likewise with our tongues, we curse our fellow man. Now, let me make a couple of comments about the language that James is employing here. First, the verbs that he is using in this verse are present tense verbs. And what that tells us is that James is talking about regular, habitual, ongoing action. And so we could read, verse 9 is saying, with our tongues we regularly, we continually bless our Lord and Father, and with our tongues we regularly, we continually curse our fellow man. In other words, James, he's not here talking about some type of one-off action, something that we do occasionally. These are things that we regularly and habitually do, which leads me to my second observation and that James here isn't telling us that these things, that these are some things that our tongues are capable of doing. He's not saying your tongue is capable of blessing God and your tongue is capable of cursing your fellow, fellow man. That's not what he's saying at all. He's telling us now, he's saying basically take a good, long, hard look in the mirror. He's telling us that these are things that we are doing. In other words, not only is our tongue capable of doing that, this is what we actually do with our tongues. Now think about the hypocrisy that has to be present here. That with one breath, we're talking about how much we love God. We're, We're blessing our Lord and Father. And then with the very next breath, we curse our fellow man. James tells us in the next verse, in verse 10, he says these things ought not to be so. In other words, how can you call yourself a Christian if you bless God with your tongue and then in the very next breath you turn around and you curse, you badmouth, you gossip about, you slander your fellow man? James says these things ought not to be so. But the Apostle John goes even further than James does. Now, you, you needn't turn there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a passage from 1 John chapter 4. This is verses 19 through 21, for those of you who take notes. 1 John 4, verses 19 through 21, John says this, 
We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so John's going way beyond James's language about what we ought not to do. John is telling us that if, if we love God, and we might say that, that idea, if, if you will, is, it's parallel to the idea that we bless God, we, we bless our Lord and Father. And if, if at the same time while saying we love God, we hate our brother, and again, that idea is parallel with the idea of cursing our brother, cursing our fellow man. He's telling us if we try to do both of those things simultaneously, we bless God, we curse our fellow man, that we are liars. Now, I don't know about you, those are strong words. And so if, if that describes you, don't get mad at me. I'm just reading what the Bible says, okay? I, I don't like being called a liar. And my guess is you don't like being called a liar either. And so he says, well, then don't say you love God and at the same time curse your fellow man. But John goes even further than that. He says we cannot, in other, it's impossible in other words, we cannot love God whom we have seen if we don't love our brother whom we have seen. Do you see what's happening here? This is well beyond the language about what we ought not to do. We're now firmly in the place where this is what's required by someone who says that they're a Christian. And so let me be frank with you, beloved. Don't come to me with any patronizing nonsense about how much you love God if you're using your tongue to curse and badmouth and gossip your fellow man. Because you're a liar. Not my words. It's what the Bible says. And so, beloved, words are indeed powerful. That's point number one. Point number two is we see the purpose of words. The purpose of words. So if, if words are powerful, what, what are we supposed to do with those words? Uh, I, I remember a, a song. This, I'll show my age here. So I'm a child of the 80s. Grew up, went to high school in the early 80s. And um, there was a band called Missing Persons. You know the group Missing Persons? Kim, Kim, and, Kim and I have a lot of the same jams. Um, so Missing Persons, they, they were, if you don't know them, it's not a big deal. They were a one-hit wonder. Uh, they had a song called Words. And all through that song, they would say, you know, what are words for? Um, all throughout the song. Well, I don't, I don't really care what Missing Persons thinks what words for. I'm going to tell you what the Bible tells you what words are for, okay? And so I could go to a number of places in the Bible to tell you what words are for. Uh, to make this point, but since the men of the church are studying Proverbs on Saturday morning, so on the second Saturdays of each month, I thought, let me just, let, let, Proverbs is a book full of wisdom, right? That's what the whole book's there for. So let me, let's look at the book of Proverbs and see what Proverbs talks about what words are for. So I'm, I'm going to jump all over the book of Proverbs. If you're a note taker, I'll tell you where I'm at each time. In Proverbs 11, verse 9, we'll start there. It says, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. So words, words can destroy, but that's not what they're for. Words are for delivering the righteous. Words are for building up. They're for delivering others. Now, let me illustrate that point. Uh, a few weeks back, a couple months ago, um, I was feeling particularly discouraged. Uh, not with life in general, but just with ministry in general. Uh, frankly, I didn't feel like 
I was where I needed to be spiritually. Um, I didn't think, and listen, I love you, so don't hear me wrong. I didn't think PHBC was where it needs to be spiritually. And I was discouraged. I was questioning about whether I should be a pastor or not. Um, and, you know, what other, you know, should I get my teaching license again, start teaching? I mean, I was really discouraged. I shared this with my wife. I shared it with some of the elders. I didn't share it with anybody else in the church. Just, just you know, say, hey, pray for me. This is where, this is where I'm at. Well, a couple weeks back, so right at the end of last year, a young lady who's a member of the church, she came up to me after uh, my wife and I were standing roughly where she's at right now, and she came up to me after the service, and she told me how much she appreciated my preaching. And she said, how comfortable, she said, I feel like I can invite a lost friend here because you share the gospel every time you preach, and if I bring my lost friend here, they're going to hear the gospel. And, you know, I told her thank you, and I was grateful for her words. But my wife, I'll never forget how my wife responded to her. She looked at her and she says, you don't know how timely those words were. And how important. Thank you for sharing those words. You see, those were words that delivered. A couple of weeks later, another young lady in the church sends me a text. um, Unrelated to the first incident altogether. And, and she says in her text, and I quote here, I won't mention her name, but she quotes, she says, you don't go unnoticed. We appreciate you. Smiley face emoji. Those are words that delivered. Now, please, please hear me. I, I'm not sharing these two examples because I'm fishing for compliments. Far, far from that. I'm sharing this because, because those are personal examples that, that I, I'm not talking about somebody else. This, this is what I know. And I know how those words delivered for me. I'm sharing those as examples of the power of words and the purpose of words. Proverbs chapter 25, verses 11 and 12 say this, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring on the or-, or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. You know, when, when the writer there of Proverbs says that a word fitly spoken, he means that a word spoken at the right time. And so sometimes when we speak to somebody, and when we speak just at, right, at that right time, that's right when that person needed to hear it. It's the purpose of words. That we use words to build people up. And so that, that means we need to be careful in how we use our words. Language is important. And did you know, by the way, did you know that your mom was actually quoting the Bible to you when she would say things to you like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say nothing. That's, that's Bible. I didn't know that when my mom used to tell me that. When I, she, she might not have known it either. Um, I don't know, but maybe she did. Um, Proverbs chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but... He who is trustworthy in spirit keeps things covered. So the man of understanding, the the trustworthy man, often knows that it's best not to say anything at all, especially when the alternative then is to speak slander. When my wife and I were first married, so this year would be 27 years um, ago, she would have to regularly tell me, uh, she would say, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. 
Some, I heard some other people. So I, evidently my wife's not the only one who had to tell me that because I heard some other uh, women speak up there. Uh, but what, what she meant by that is it was the tone that I was using. Proverbs 51 tells us this, a harsh answer, or excuse me, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So sometimes it's not always about what we say. Sometimes it's about how we say it. Again, words have power, and so the purpose of words, we need to use them. We use them to build people up. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. You know, I could, I could go on and on. I mean, Proverbs, listen, if you spend some time in Proverbs, um, Proverbs has a lot to say about how we speak. But I, I hope you get the point here. Words are powerful and the purpose of words are to build up. But I want us to think about this also in, in purpose. I want us to think about it from an evangelistic perspective. Suppose you have someone with whom you're trying to share your faith. And, you know, maybe it's a lost friend, a lost family member, a co-worker, whatever, you know this person is far from Jesus and you, and you want to share Christ with them. And good on you for wanting to do that. Praise God for that. Now, we understand, of course, that the gospel is a story we tell with words. That means we, we can't tell the gospel without words. And to that point, listen, Francis of Assisi never, ever, ever said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. That is an urban legend. It's been going around a long time, but it is an urgent legend. He never said anything of that nature. But more important than Francis of Assisi, listen, the Bible doesn't say that. We have to use words to share the gospel story. And so picture this, if you will. If in one, if in one breath we're using our words to tear people up, to slander them, to belittle them, to mock them, to say disparaging things about them. If we're doing that with one breath, then why should we expect people to listen to us with the next breath as we try to to share the gospel with them? If in the next breath we tell them about how much they need a Savior and how much Jesus loves them, and they're going to go, really? I mean, sounds like you need Jesus more than I do the way you're talking about people, right? This This is akin... This is akin to using your hand to smack your child across the face and then trying to use that hand to caress him, to keep him safe. Listen, if you use your hand to smack your child across the face, then you shouldn't be surprised when he flinches when you reach your hand out to caress him. That that shouldn't come as a surprise to you. And so if we use our words regularly and systematically to tear people down, then we really shouldn't be surprised that our attempts to share our faith, the good news with others, falls on deaf ears. The purpose of words is to build people up. Point number three. The problem with words. The problem with words. Now, so far we've seen here the power of words and the purpose of words. I want to focus here in our remaining time with the problem with words. And in this final point, I I, I hope to illustrate by example how we often use words, uh, we militarize the use of words. So we use words to attack people. Now, someone cynical might think, well, it's really not my problem uh, how my words are received. If they have a problem with my words, then they just need to grow thicker skin. 
And it is true that some people are more easily offended than others. But that's really no response for a Christian. If, if you think that you just need to grow a thicker skin, that's not a, that's not a Christian response. Because as a Christian, we understand that the person we're talking to, whether it's a brother or sister in Christ, or whether it's somebody, a stranger in the mall, that that person we're talking to is somebody created in the image of God. This is the whole point of this sermon being shared today on sanctity of human life. That it's not just about a baby in the womb. All that is very, very important. I'll say more about that in just a moment. But the sanctity of life, of all of life, and that we recognize that the people with whom we talk to are created in the image of God. That's what that, that video that we watched right before the service was about. All those different faces created in the image of God. In verse 9, James writes, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. There's no question at all, friends, that James here is, taught, is referring to the doctrine of the image of God or the Imago Dei. Emily read earlier in our service from Genesis chapters one, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. That's the, the foundational passage in the Bible uh, that teaches us that every human being on the planet, every last one of us, created in the image of God. So that there's not one group over here, if you will, they're creating the image of God, and then this group over here, well, they're not creating the image of God. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. We're all, every one of us, created in the image of God. And so, whether you're black, brown, white, Hispanic, Asian, Middle Eastern, European, African, however you want to categorize yourself or someone else, we're all created in the image of God. And so when we slander, when we belittle, when we demean another human being, we're doing that to an individual who bears the image of God. Now let that sink in for just a moment. These things ought not to be so. We ought not to use our language to refer to image bearers in that way. And so I want to talk here about four ways that we use our words to attack the image of God and others. And these four ways, by the way, are brought to you by the letters W and D. Okay? So first, words that define. Words that define. Here's what I mean. We regularly use words in a way that defines what it means to be a person. For example, we call the human baby in the womb fetal tissue or the product of conception. Now, while those descriptions may be technically accurate, I want you to realize that they are used almost in every case as evil. As evil. You meet, meet an expected mother and she says, Oh, come look at this beautiful ultrasound picture of my fetal tissue. Said no woman ever, ever, ever. Or you have a conversation, Oh, I, I, I see you're, you're going to have a child soon. Is your product of conception a boy or a girl? Said no one again, ever, ever, ever. We don't talk about human babies that way. We don't talk about them as fetal tissue or the product of conception. We use terms like that rather to justify the murder of human beings while they're still in their mother's womb. That's why we use terms like that. And please listen. I'm not saying that to shame anyone. In a church our size, statistically speaking, 
there's at least one, if not multiple women who are in this room or perhaps listening via live stream who have had an abortion or men who have encouraged their partners to have an abortion. And to each of you, I want to say this very clearly, how profoundly sorry I am that you had to go through that. I've never been in your shoes and I'm so sorry you went through that. But I also want you to know that there is grace and forgiveness for you in Jesus. That no sin is ever too great for forgiveness by Jesus. And so we use words like fetal tissue and product of conception to militarize if you to say that's not an image bearer. That that thing in the womb, it's not an image bearer. But yes, friends, it is. He is, she is. That's an image bearer of God. Here's another way we use words to define. We talk about people as illegal aliens or illegal immigrants. And again, technically, this is often an appropriate legal description of someone's immigration status into our country or into another country. Some people immigrate by following the laws of that country. Other people immigrate without following the laws of that country. And so we call them illegal immigrants. And But we use those words sometimes in a militaristic way. And, and by the way, listen, I am not saying anything. So my point in bringing that, I, I, I'm not saying anything about what a comprehensive immigration policy for the United States of America should look like. I think we should have one, mind you. But I am not, I am not qualified by a wide margin to, to develop any type of comprehensive immigration policy. My point in bringing it up is that when we use the term illegal immigrant, we either sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously, we fail to acknowledge the humanity and the image of God in that individual. We see that person as another. That person is illegal rather than as a person created in the image of God. And so we use words to define second thing we do is we use words that defile words that defile to defile is to sully or mar or spoil and beloved we defile the image of god in others when we attack the person in philosophy these are called ad hominem attacks an ad hominem attack is when you attack the person rather than their idea so I'll give you an example so you're at lunch with your coworker, and you learn that she voted for a different candidate than you voted for. And instead of engaging her and trying to learn from her why she voted for her particular candidate of choice, and then having an honest dialogue with her about the issues, you write her off as a simpleton, or she's a snowflake, or she's a Neanderthal, wherever you're, wherever you're coming from. But you see what I'm doing? You see what's happening? You see what you've done with your words? Because you believe something differently than she does, you've attacked her worth as a person. She's no longer somebody created in the image of God. She's a simpleton. She's a snowflake, a Neanderthal. Now, I don't spend a lot of time on social media, but the time I do spend on social media, this, this, is, this happens all the time on social media. All the time on social media. And I don't know why it happens on social media. Maybe people feel a certain sense of distance because... They're on social media. I don't know what the reason. Maybe you know they feel more comfortable saying something that they would never say to somebody face to face. And some people would say, "Well, I would say it to their face to face." Well, maybe you would say it to them face to face, but that doesn't. We still don't have a right. 
That doesn't give a Christian a right to, to use words that defile, to defile an image bearer of God. Remember this, that the person, the individual with whom you are interacting, and again, whether that's on social media, whether that's a face-to-face conversation, whether it's an email conversation, that individual is somebody who's been created in the image of God. And we're not to defile what God has created. So if you have a problem with their idea, it's, oh, let's interact over that idea. Ideas aren't sacrosanct. Ideas aren't created in the image of God. But people are. And so we don't attack the person. If we have, if we have, if we have an honest disagreement about ideas, we, you know, let's, let's dialogue about that. And I might attack your idea, but let's not attack one another in that. I hope you understand that distinction there. Third way is we use words that demean. Words that demean. This is closely related to the previous point. Um, and I, I debated about whether this should be a separate point altogether. Obviously, it's in the sermon, so I chose it deserved its own point. But to demean is, uh, is to cost a severe loss of dignity. And in our particular society, here, here's where I see this happening a, a lot. I see, the, I see this happening a lot in the entire LGBTQ discussion. And for the record, I see it on both sides of, of the debate. I see it for those who are pro-LGBT, and I see it those who are against uh, that agenda. And so let me give you an example of how, uh, how I see words that demean being used by people who are against the LGBTQ agenda. And, w- and with that in mind, beloved, I'm not trying to hide anything. You know my stance on this issue. I've spoken to it n- a number, numerous times. I have, as many of you know, I have personal close family members who identify in one way or another with the LGBTQ agenda. With all that said, though, I think that any honest reading of the, of the Bible, any honest reading of the Bible describes these behaviors as sinful. All right? Period. Full stop. And honest people, by the way, and I've done a lot of reading on this, honest people on both sides of the debate will say, yeah, the Bible calls it sin. Period. But... That does not mean that we can be cavalier with our language when we address this issue. I've heard people say, for example, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And to that, if, if I were seeing you, per, like if you were saying that in, in my presence, I would look at you and I would say, really? I mean, re- is that the best that you can come up with? As if when you say that, you know, the person there who's struggling, perhaps, with the whole same-sex attraction issue, that you say it, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, they're going to go, wow, I've just had a revelation, you're right, God did make Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, how could I have missed that? I need to turn to Jesus right now. That's never going to happen. As long as we use our words to demean others. Beloved, we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak it in love. Finally, words that defend. And by words that defend, I mean words that defend the indefensible. And this one has really come to light here in the last uh, week and a half. I, I see this happening a lot in politics. And depending on what side of the political agenda you're on, you, you have your, your crew on this side and you have the other crew on this side. 
Um, I've seen this just about every day in the news since the D.C. riots 10 days ago. And I see it particularly right now. Um, I've seen it play out before, but I've seen it particularly right now playing out on the conservative news outlets. They'll, they'll say things like, well, yes, what happened in D.C. is wrong, but the riots that happened all last summer, those are wrong as well. Now, let me tell you what's wrong with that argument. Using the word but. The but is what's wrong with that argument. Now, for the record, I think that the use of violence is almost in every case wrong. And so certainly the rioting, the looting, the setting fires that we saw last summer, wrong. Every incident. The, the violence at the Capitol building that we just saw a matter of days ago, wrong. All of it wrong. And as Christians, we should have no part in that type of wicked behavior, period. None whatsoever. But those same news networks that were condemning what happened in D.C. and then saying, but what about happened last summer? Those same new news networks already condemned the riots last summer. They don't, they don't need to bring it up again. Their position is already well known on that issue. What, what they're doing is, uh, here's a famous, uh, a famous uh, philosophical argument. They're doing whataboutism. Okay, how about that for a fancy word? Whataboutism. Yeah, yeah, this happened, but what about when you fill in the blank when that happens? What they're doing is they're using their words to deflect or draw attention away from the real issue. And so what the conservative media outlets are doing in saying that is they're saying, well, you know, we condemn both last summer's riots as well as the Capitol um, uprising, whereas you liberals, all you're doing is you're condemning the uprising at the Capitol. Therefore, we conservatives are superior to you. But what they're actually doing is this. They're using words to defend the indefensible. Now, no, no one, I've, I've heard no one, and I hope I don't ever hear anybody, actually try to defend what happened you know, two Wednesdays ago. But that's what they're doing. That's exactly what's happening. Here, let me illustrate. It, it's like an abusive husband who tells his wife after he's beaten her black and blue for the 15th time, and he looks at her and he says, I'm, so, I'm sorry, honey, but you make me so angry sometimes. Now, what's he doing there? He's deflecting from himself and saying that he's really not the one who's fault, at fault for abusing his wife. And his crazy mind, his crazy way of thinking, he's actually saying, honey, it's your fault that I'm beating you. Rather, when we've done something indefensible, whether it's in politics, in the workplace, or in our home. We shouldn't use our words to try to defend the indefensible. Here's an idea for us. Why don't we just leave it at a simple, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I said that. I was wrong. There's no excuse. Rather than try to defend the indefensible, because when we do that, we are attacking, if you will, you know, when, when we're at odds with somebody else and we're trying to defend ourselves and, and how we're attacking somebody, we're actually attacking the image of God in that person. And so our words are powerful, beloved. They may not physically break bones, but they can crush others. And we need to recognize that those others, that our words are crushing, that they are men and women, boys and girls created in the image of God. 
And may God help us to use our words in a way that brings Him glory and that acknowledges the humanity in other men and women. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this time together. I thank You for this Sunday where we celebrate the sanctity of human life. And I pray, Father, that we recognize that it's, it's not just the baby in the womb, although that's very important. It's not just questions about euthanasia at the end of life, and, and those questions are critically important as well. But even how we talk to one another, Father, do, do we recognize the sanctity, the dignity in other human beings, whether, uh, whether they're different from us socio, from a socioeconomic status, perhaps they come from a, a different ethnic group, or a, a, perhaps a different political tribe, whatever it might be, Father, that these people, while we, we, we may or may not disagree with, with uh, different stances that they take, the people nonetheless are men and women created in the image of God. And so help us, Father, hold that as sacred. And that we remember as we interact with one another, that we would love one another well. That we don't attack people. That we don't gossip and backbite and slander others. But we love them as we have been loved. We, we may need to speak the truth in love, but help us to speak it again in love. And so, Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for the power of words. And I pray, Father, that the words that you've allowed me to share this morning would be pleasing to you and Father, that it would result in the building up of your body. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.